<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Deal Property Podcast, uh, episode three. Today I'm joined by a very good friend, Australia's number one mortgage broker. Uh, I would call him a, an adventure freak now. He mountain bikes, push bikes, motorbikes. Justin Dubolf, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Mates, um, today I just wanted to cover off a few different things. The lending landscape's changed a lot in terms of what's possible right now, how long things are taking. And I think there's a lot of misconception out there about what's actually achievable um, with lending, how much yep. you can actually borrow, what's actually achievable and what you can buy. So I wanted to cover those uh, those few things off. I think first, mate, just give us a quick overview of um, yourself, your business, and I guess how you got to, to, to the number one spot and then we'll dive into those things. Yeah, well, we've been around for probably over 18 years, been in the industry for nearly 20 and uh, started off with just our first client and just built it from there and it was built purely just on servicing clients. Uh, as I was saying before, I don't even remember the last time our website was even looked at by myself or even <laughs> updated. It's probably you know five, six, seven years before we've even since we've even touched that website. Right. It's all and it, our way that we service our or that we market is we reinvest what other people would spend on marketing. We reinvest that on servicing the customer. That customer has a great experience, uh, borrows money that they thought they couldn't borrow or has a better service experience than they would have expected. They right. tell their friends and family, and that refers us on to another client. And then the more clients we've got, the more clients we get referred to. I like that business model. A uh, business model not many people would use. Instead of spending that money on marketing to gain another client, spend that yeah. money on the client, yeah. and you'll do a great job and they'll refer another client. Yeah. Well, most, most other companies have got, um, they might have, say, one broker and I'd have one assistant. I've got 17 assistants. So effectively, I've got all these people that help along the way. My background, I've got degrees in finance and accounting, but my pure background was engineering, like process management. Right. So instead of um, just having a, putting the loan application in and crossing our fingers and praying, we've got a whole team of guys along effectively like a production line that when I speak to the client, we can put it in, someone can data enter it straight away. So guys will work overnight to data enter it. Next morning we can submit the application. I've got someone that will chase the application through the system, uh, prepare the loan documents. So every step of the way, we've got people that, that push the file along the way and then they become specialists in that particular area. So instead of one person becoming a jack of all trades, trying to you know, run around and know everything, each person specialises in a certain area, which allows them to be a master of their craft, to be able to push the application through or know how to grease the wheels inside the bank to make the application go through smoother. And it'll be easier for you to track as well if you know there's you know, some places slipping up, you know, the, the loan's getting to that point very quickly and then from there onwards it's slowing down, so they're the areas you have to work on, right? Correct, and we can also then pull people from other areas to focus on another area of the business, say, look, there's, we're getting uh, smashed with applications in this section, bring more people from that area across to another area to make it go through smoother. Very smart, I like it. Yeah. So is it just you that does the, I guess, the initial Correct. Uh, client connection and then you, you put it down to the well, people. And the other guys that do this at the back end, there's a lot of, with, yeah. with mortgage broking, uh, with your business, there's a lot more face-to-face -face interaction with the clients. Like 95% of what's needed is holding the client's hand while you're looking at a property with them. Where with ours, uh, it's coming up with a strategy and then signing up the client, signing up the loan documents with the client at the end. They're the two key touch points. The rest of the stuff is like admin. So effectively, we're taking on the client's administration uh, needs and I've just got a whole team of guys that are great at doing the admin work. So we just do it, everyone just does the admin work and behind the scenes. The and they're yeah. just holding it going, welcome yeah. to your new loan. <laughs> and like, while we've won pretty much every industry award and we're the largest writer of high loans in the country, 
it's not just me that does it. It's a team effort. Yeah. So yes, I'm the try scorer and the goal scorer, uh, and I get the accolades. And uh, but it's it's everybody along the along the process line is needed to help that customer have that good experience. Right. I like that, um, mate. With things changing at the moment. Um, how has things changed in your business? Have you had to bring more staff on? Have you had to double down on certain areas where it is taking a little bit longer? Run us through that because as, as everyone knows in yeah. finance, things are, are a lot harder since the Royal Commission and now coronavirus has hit the economy. It's, it's gotten even tougher for you guys. So we've got really good processes and systems in place and templates that we've built to um, streamline things and um, right. replicate and uh, just to keep the consistency going through. But what we've ended up doing now is because things take a lot longer. So as basically every day we have a meeting in the morning and we're learning whatever learnings we got from the day before, be it something stuffed up, something um, got bottlenecked somewhere, there was a, uh, a glitch in, in our process, uh, we change it that day, the next morning it's implemented. So the next day, everybody's got that one person's learning is spread across everybody. So yeah, that just right. creates more efficiency because there's a lot of, because it's not just us that are working from home uh, during the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic uh it's all the banks the solicitors all these other people in the in the in the the, the, the machine, chain yeah. in the machine of someone buying a property are all now working uh in uncharted areas and uncharted waters so uh they've got a lot of inefficiency in their processes so it's we're learning what their inefficiencies are Right. and documenting it down so that the next time we don't sit there and send it in and wait three days, we know to send it directly to a different department and then it will get actioned within one day, not three days. On, on say, a percentage basis, obviously every single bank and lending institution is different, but how, how much longer is things taking? 20% longer, 30% longer, right. is it 50%? Each, each bank's different. Some banks we can, and because of the volume of business we write, we get preferential treatment with, yeah. with pretty much all our loans. So when we put it in, another broker may wait five to 10 days uh, we may get one day turnaround on that application. But across the board, each lender's different and each lender's got different breaks in their systems uh, and their processes at different areas. Some lenders are taking, before they pick up an application, are taking, say, ANZ is taking 21 to 28 days just to pick up an application. Where um, six months ago, they'd take one to two days. So, uh, but then when they're getting issuing documents, they issue documents really quickly. So each lender, it's funny, it's like, because each lend, one lender's got their bottlenecked at one area, another lender's bottlenecked at another area, um, especially some of, the, some of the banks that offshore their processing. Right, okay. Um, and they're going to India or the Philippines. And then all of a sudden you've got people that are working in a controlled environment now working from probably their home or their, you know, their, their kitchen bench and things aren't as efficient uh, for the banks. So, uh, but it, we know when we speak to the client, we say, what are you looking at doing? How fast do you need it? And then we work out and then we work out what the limiting factors are with that particular application. And then we know from our experience, which lender would be able to get it through at the fastest possible rate. Right. But some clients, it's not about speed. Some clients want to borrow the most amount of money. Some clients want the cheapest rate. Some clients want to be able to exchange tomorrow. So there's different needs of that client. And those factors just there would help determine which lender is the most appropriate. And tailor it, yeah, to yeah. the specific lender. Right, okay. Um, and have you noticed something, I guess, common among all of them that they're looking into a lot more now than what they would have done, say, pre-coronavirus and pre Yeah. Um, so they're all, asking, they're all asking about um, has COVID affected you? How, how has COVID affected you? And right. different lenders are asking different questions and delving deeper into it. So some are just saying, I just... 
tick a box saying, has COVID affected you? Like no, it hasn't. Like a line that you tick yeah, <laughs> Tick say no and, and you're all good. Right. Um, from a duty of care, from a, that's, that passes the, the lender's perspective, but from our side, we still need to make sure that we're doing a loan for somebody that they haven't lost their job or the income's decreased because we need to make sure that they can afford to make, uh, make the payments on their loan. So we've, we've got a duty of care under responsible lending to make sure that we're doing the right thing by the, by the consumer. Right. Uh, however, different banks have got different criteria and some of them are de- uh, digging deeper and deeper. And the problem is that somebody may not have been affected by uh, COVID-19 in their business, but they, the lender will actually ask a whole series of questions, re- require more documentation, be it uh, updated bank statements to show that revenue hasn't dropped, give us your interim P&Ls, and before that might have sufficed. But now they're actually going and, and trying to cross-check that with, well, let's show us your BAS statements and show us that you've actually paid the tax on that BAS. So they're digging deeper and deeper. And the problem is if it, it may uncover something else that a client may have late payments on their tax. And all of a sudden, while they're just trying to look, the bank's trying to look for a, uh, has the client's income been affected by COVID, all of a sudden it's uncovered a tax issue or uh, someone's late with their credit card payments or their bank yeah, statement's right, overdrawn. Okay. So you kind of end up going down a rabbit hole. So we ask a lot of questions up front, get a lot of information from the client up front because you only get one shot at putting the application in for the first time. So we want to make sure that we've basically put in the best possible application and we've um, basically tidied up any loose ends and made dotted sure there's the, no... Dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. 100%. Yeah, right. Um, and what about serviceability? Do you think serviceability decreased or, or the lender's appetite to lend as much money as they would have done pre-coronavirus or are they just looking into things a lot harder to get the same amount of money? Uh, well, lenders, pretty much all lenders in Australia, like all the major institutions, have cut their financial planning arm, insurance arm, so they only make money from lending. So they're like a one-horse, one-trick pony, and so they need to keep lending. And it's funny that when we speak to the credit guys, the credit's gotten a lot tougher with who they lend to, right. but the credit person won't have a job if that if the bank's not lending. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. They, they need to keep lending, but they've also got to lend responsibly. They don't want to lend people who are in default. Uh, has lending tightened up? Absolutely. Uh, in the past, uh, the lenders would look at, say, bonuses for the last two years, and they may average it, or what was your overtime, or what was your salary. Now they're actually looking at what's happened over the last month and is it sustainable? Because a lot of people uh, that we speak to, their, their incomes have dropped by 10 or 20% or they've re- had to reduce their work hours by, uh, for work days from five days to four days. Or they may have just been put on gardening leave or their, their company's now receiving JobKeeper. And each of those things, different lenders, and again, we take all of that information because each lender will look at that information differently. Right. So if you've got a company on that where someone's receiving JobKeeper, some lenders won't lend to that employee until the company's not receiving JobKeeper because that shows a sign of weakness, not of the not just of the the borrower, but also also of the company to the be employer. able to pay the employ the right. pay the employee. So it's taking they're putting everything under the microscope. Uh, they're shading rent. So in the past, they'd normally if someone earns and to give you an example, if someone earns say or they got rent of five hundred dollars a week rent and five hundred dollars uh, a week in um, uh, in uh, loan repayments, you would say it's cash flow neutral, it washes its face, we don't have to worry about that. Where a lender would say, we're going to only take $400 a week of rent and instead of, fi- of income coming in, and instead of $500 a week of uh, outgoing expense of, um, of loan repayments, they're going to take 1000 or $1,200 of loan repayments. So all of a sudden you've got a bigger gap. 
Then you overlay that with the lender going, well, what are the actual borrowing costs? So what are the actual running costs of that property? Council rates, water, strata, and you factor all of those in, and that gap between how much rent is coming in to what your outgoings going out uh, becomes a lot bigger. That's okay with someone earning couple hundred thousand dollars and only one property. As you start building up a property portfolio of two, three, four properties, uh, we have to choose the lender that won't uh, decimate the client's borrowing capacity because the more properties you've got where there's that large gap, you need to earn a lot more income in your from your personal income, be it self-employed or salaried, to compensate the loss that the, the lender's factoring in your servicing. Right, and we actually, that's very, very interesting. Um, we just spoke about something prior to this about what it would look like if say your, your um, income was slashed by say 20% or, or some, one of these things happened um, and you were running some rough numbers and you said, you know, if just say an income of, was it 300 and something thousand got slashed yeah. by 20%, it actually impacted your serviceability by a lot more than that. Yeah, so to give that example, clients um, works a large firm, uh, earns $360,000 and during COVID they've just said, uh, we're gonna drop your incomes by 20%. And he rang me up, we already had a pre-approval in place uh, to, for him to buy, it was $1.44 million. He was pre-approved. That was the maximum he could borrow on his $360,000 income. Uh, his income dropped by 20%. He called up saying, oh, I just presume I can just borrow 20% less. And when we actually ran the numbers, it, if, he, uh, if the bank redid that serviceability uh, as at today, he only could borrow $900,000. So it's dropped it by about 40 or 50%, uh, not 50%, but about 40%. Uh, the borrowing capacity, even though income dropped by 20%. The reason that that is, is the first chunk of income you earn goes towards paying for family, your living expenses, your rent, your outgoings, your car loan repayments, everything else. So the first, say, 100 grand is gone towards paying your living costs. Then the remaining 100 grand to 360 grand, that's what goes towards servicing the loan. So if you drop the 360 down to say 300, then uh, you've now only, you've got a lot less money now to, surplus to service income the to surplus service income it. to service it. Right. And that's what the banks uh, and people don't realise because getting a lot of clients got pre-approvals and and they may have been pre-approved six months ago or a year ago when banks and you know everyone was throwing money going you want fries with your home loan kind <laughs> of thing and it was just very easy to get money. Mm. Now it's a lot harder, but people's con- mis- um, are miscon- misconceiving. They think that it's easy still and they think that it's very quick where it's hard to get a loan now and it takes longer and you need to dot the i's and cross the t's because one of the issues that people are going to find is a lender may give you a loan and a lot of lenders aren't doing full pre-approvals so people go out shopping they go and buy exchange on a property and they don't realize that they may have had an approval before and it was easy now it's gone a lot harder right Uh, and they go to exchange and between the time they exchange to the time they settle uh, banks are actually doing audits where they'll call up your employer, check that um, you're still on the full income, check that you're still working there, check that your tenant is paying the full rent. If one of those things that don't, um, have, have decreased, the bank will then just reassess it. They'll pull the pin. We've had clients that on the day of settlement, they've had yeah, employment checks get this, done. Yeah. So, and that's, that's a massive and risk. And you think you're on the straight and narrow, then you think you've, you're just about to settle on your property on the last day the bank will, you know. Correct. Pull it, pull it from under you. Yeah, so. Because essentially, I think what people misunderstand with pre-approvals, and you can um, clarify this more, that a pre-approval is not the actual amount you can borrow. Essentially, it's an <laughs> offer to lend if the situation doesn't change. Is that right? Correct. And it even says, even when after you get pre-approved and you buy a property, you exchange on it, and even if you're unconditionally approved and you sign the loan documents, 
the lender's loan documents say they can re- they reserve the right to uh, renege on the loan effectively right. and review your financial position between the time of exchange to the time of settlement. And a lot of banks, they're so backlogged that they're only doing their quality insurance check literally a day, a day before or the day of settlement. And that's their right to do that. But you just got to be careful. You're not, until that loan has settled, you can't celebrate because you don't know that, 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 that there's not going to be any complication. Which I don't think a lot of people get. I don't think a lot of people understand that even if you are unconditionally approved. And to be honest, I didn't really understand yeah. it. You, yeah. you haven't really got the money. No. Until it's settled, that's when you've got the money. So yeah. at, at any point in that time, if something changes from when you submitted the application and got an unconditional approval, they can essentially take it away or, or say, we're not lending you the same amount of money as we would have. Correct. And, and their argument will be that under responsible lending, we don't want you to get into financial difficulty. And you're like, well, mate, I'm already in. If you don't give me the approval, I'm in financial difficulty. I'm if you give me the loan, 10%. I may get into financial difficulty, but it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what you do or say or who you're going to fight and you call the ombudsman. You, there, there's three, four, five weeks trying to get, uh, get mediation and try and get it resolved. You've got to try and prevent that problem before it occurs. Exactly. So, we say like, don't get don't, to our clients, don't put yourself in that position. So if there's a chance your income is going to change, then you need to address that beforehand, not wait till the lender pulls you up on it because then you're on the back foot. Yeah, okay. Um, mate, you know, there's a lot of shit going around in the media now about property prices dropping and no one's buying property and everything's, everything's negative. There's no, nothing yeah. positive. You're still doing a lot of loans. Yeah. Who, who are get, well, who's getting loans at the moment? And I guess, what are they buying or why are they getting loans? Well, is, is a lot of it refinancing? Is a lot of new purchasing still happening? You, you, you'd know more than anyone. Well, I'm, very, I'm cautiously optimistic. So I'm not as bullish as you probably are in the market. I'm not a pessimist that I don't think it's going to drop 30%. But I'm very cautious that because if a client gets into financial difficulty, I own the problem trying to fix it up. Because my, my agreement with the client is, look, we got you into the loan. If you got into financial difficulty or there's a problem, I'll help you with it, which, with whichever way we can, yeah. to manage you through that process. So we don't want clients to get, the, get themselves in trouble. I thought the market was going to slow down a lot faster and a lot more than it has. I'm surprised. Like, where our guys are working around the clock, processing loans, not just on refinances, but also on purchases. Because... Uh, and we, we got uh, inundated with calls from clients as soon as COVID hit, just literally the day it hit, people were getting terminated. And guys that had just settled on a loan, uh, lost their job, and call after call after call. And But when we looked at it, we got a lot of calls, but we've got done written billions of dollars of loans. We've got thousands of clients. So when we get lots of calls, it seems a lot, but percentage-wise, it might be, let's say, 3 to 5% of clients are in, had gotten themselves, lost their jobs, got into a bit of financial hardship. Right. But they're in... Uh, good industries or they had they were in good industries before they're qualified they'll be able to get back on their feet within six to 12 months so I'm, a, I'm comfortable with them but um for for that small amount of people that are in trouble there's a lot of other people that are benefiting because you've got someone that's in medic works in medical someone that works in it uh someone that works in a services industry that services anything in medical or it or and there's so many other industries that uh, you know someone that does stuff for government or infrastructure and building uh, they actually thought they were going to be slow, but they're actually busy and they're benefiting from it. So if anything, their bonuses are going to be you know, stronger than they were before. So right, okay. why, like people that lost their jobs on one side, uh, Coles go, will go and hire people to stock shelves. So like a whole lot of 
um, process workers in one area in the airlines might lose their job. On the other side, you know, Colton Woolworths uh, is now inundated with, and needs more more staff and delivery drivers. So there's while people lost here, someone else is gaining. Yeah, seesaw, yeah. Yeah. So and we're seeing like a lot of our clients have made money over the years from property. So uh, you know, the old Warren Buffett, you know, saying you buy when there's blood on the streets. And so we've got a lot of clients that I do have to pull back a little bit because they're trying to be too bullish. Um, but we're getting a lot of clients that are, are buying in this market and taking advantage of it. And, and what are they mainly to. buying? Are, are your clients mainly buying in suburbs like the East? Are they it, all over. certain places? We, we deal with clients all over Australia. So all over Australia, they're buying, whether it's upgrading their home or buying an investment property or just refinancing. It's literally, it's kind of from our side, it's business as usual, just a lot busier because things take longer. Uh, but yeah, it's just, we, I was blown away with the volumes of uh, people wanting to transact. Right, and in comparison, you've, you've got such a large loan book. In comparison to that book, you would say less than 5% of the loan book so far have maybe rang you and said, mate, things haven't gone to plan. I'm maybe in a little bit of financial Correct. distress. Okay, so it's such a small component. Yeah, and one of the things we, we were also strong on, and it's actually, it was funny because during the Royal Commission with responsible lending, one of the issues was lenders would say, um, it's, or, and the regulator would say, it's irresponsible. If someone needed a million dollar loan, and uh, they could borrow 1.1 because they had their borrowing capacity. We, in the past, would get them 1.1 million, get them that extra little buffer for a rainy day, just a bit of yeah. extra cash. I and need to put that in an offset account. Or put something. in an offset account, yeah. just rainy, rainy day money, spare cash buffer in case of emergency. Go to Aspen. And yeah. the regulator uh, and the banks would say, oh, no, that's irresponsible because you're giving the client extra money that they don't need. And I said, no, 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 it's irresponsible not to give them the money because it's rainy day money in case of a buffer. And the amount of times that clients call us afterwards where they've got that buffer and they say, thank you so much for getting me that little bit extra because I lost my job, I got sick, my bonus wasn't there, that something happened with the roof and we needed to throw money at, at fixing a problem, uh, a wedding or whatever, something where they needed money as an emergency. And if they had gone by, by the bank's rules, they would have only borrowed the exact mill. Then they would have had financial difficulty and said, I need, it. I need to get some extra cash and the bank would have said, oh, sorry, you're not working. We can't give you that money. So it's what I've done in the past is actually save clients uh, from getting into financial difficulty. So it's just, and then my, when we speak to the regulator and to the banks uh, and we try and explain that concept, a lot of them don't understand it because they want you to only lend the client the exact amount they need. Right. And my, my, my uh, example to them is, what's your credit card limit? They'll say 15 grand. I said, well, you, pay, you spend 15 grand a month on your credit card every month? No, 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 I spend a couple of grand. I said, well, why do you have a 15 grand credit card limit? They say, oh, just in case, you know, sometimes it might be, you know, an emergency comes up or we go on holidays once every couple of years and we have to buy tickets on it. I was like, exactly, that's why my client needs it, just in case. And then they understand. But Right, and I'd much, that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't understand that and I talk about it a lot. Um, in, in such a low interest rate environment, having money sitting there in an offset account yeah. at 3%, yeah. is a lot better than having to go and use your $20,000 credit card at you know 24% interest. 100%. But I guess the big thing is having um, the discipline not to go and go, oh, I want to go buy the new watch or the, go on the holiday and use that money for something that um, isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily there for that. It's more. It's, more a, it's an emergency money and we, we assess each client on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. If we believe, and we can see if someone's buying a property and they've been able to save a million dollar deposit and you can see that they earn X dollars and they spend a little bit and the rest goes into savings, then you'd give them a buffer. 
uh, someone that, that spends every cent their gift, the money for their deposit came from a gift from family, you wouldn't tell them about the buffer and you just, <laughs> you just get them just enough. Right. But we, because the, the issue also is if you take a client that has had, they've saved half a mil, a mil, $2 million, whatever that amount of cash that they've got in their bank account, and then they want to get, now go buy a property. The, the mindset before they buy the property is uh, they're relaxed because they know if anything happened, they've got a mil, $2 million cash sitting there as an emergency. If you take that client, and let's say they had $2 million cash and they wanted to buy a $3 million property, if they only just borrow the million dollars that they need, they take that $2 million that they, was their safety net, their emergency money, you take all of that, put that in a property, and you lend them now another million dollars on top, they're basically, all their money, all their emergency money is tied up and locked in their property. So they're asset rich, cash poor. So the problem is if they get into financial difficulty, they're stuffed. And after three or six months, they're gonna, they won't have that safety net. Exactly. Because right now, we've got clients that fall into that category and uh, they work not because they need to, they work because they enjoy it. And, but now all of a sudden, they've locked all their cash into a property, they're asset rich, cash poor, and now they have to work. So they become a slave to the mortgage. So and it's too late then if, you, if something late. does happen, you can't go back to the bank and say, oh, can I have that million dollars back that I give you too much? I need that for my yeah. own you know, safety net. They won't the, give it back no. to you. A bank will lend money to people that don't need it. And the more you don't <laughs> need it, the more they'll lend you. Yeah. And so you need to get the money at the time because uh, they're not going to give it to you afterwards. So, and you need, you need that buffer. Like if, if a client's buying a property, we don't, if they've got no way of creating a buffer afterwards, being that they're going to sell other assets or they're earning a large income and they'll be able to recreate a buffer, uh, we advise them to buy a cheaper property and have that buffer because you, you always need that spare money. Money it's for the same, If you went out on a Saturday night, you might only want to spend, or you, people don't go out now because during COVID, but in the past when people wanted to go out and if they thought I only want to spend $100, they don't just take $100. They'll take $150 just in case. And so the same thing, you need that just in case money. Right, right. I think that's gold, mate. I think that is absolute gold. Um, just before we wrap up, I know you don't have numbers in front of you right now, but I see it a lot on social media and you see a lot of people talk about all these people building these massive portfolios and then selling the dream to these potential clients. How realistic is it for someone who doesn't earn a significant income but might earn, say, 150, 200 grand a year to build these multi-million dollar portfolios that everyone talks about and everyone says is achievable? Is it really achievable or is it not? It's a lot harder than it was before. In the past, the way that lenders used to assess it, is in that example, if you like I gave earlier where you had a $500 a week loan repayment on and receiving $500 a week rent, you could just keep amassing more and more properties because they'd wash, the, they'd wash their own face. The bank would just exclude it because they'll say, you got $500 coming in, $500 going out, therefore it doesn't affect the income. So therefore their full uh, salary can go towards buying the new property. The issue in this market now is because of that gap, uh, it's a lot harder because uh, the majority of lenders will take, uh, they'll sensitize the, the repayment, they'll, low, they'll discount the rent, and now the rents, up until a few months ago, the bank would reduce your rent by, um, by 20%, so if you had $500, they'll make it $400. Uh, now they're making it by 30, they're reducing it by 30%. So that gap's gotten even, even bigger. So while rates are cheap, and this is the, the issue, people have got the capacity to actually uh, service a loan, but because of the hurdle rates and the way that the banks have tightened their serviceability calculators, it's a lot harder to build that property portfolio. Right. As you start going from first tier lenders all the way down to third and fourth tier lenders, some of the third and fourth tier lenders will take actual payments. 
So you can, and what, what we'd do in that case, you might start with buying one or two properties with a first tier lender, be it like your major banks, and then work our way down to some of the second or third tier lenders that are a bit more flexible with how uh, serviceability is calculated. And have your portfolio split across the three or four or five different lenders? Correct. Right, okay. Um, right. And then all, all I was gonna say also, 10 years ago, like during the, people say they references to the GFC, but it's completely different because before the GFC or when the GFC happened, we didn't have what was called responsible lending. It was when the when the lenders would lend, if you had say a $300,000 deposit and you wanted to buy a million dollar property, the bank would go, yeah, we'll do that because if you default, uh, then we'll just repossess your property. So it was all about asset, uh, the value of the asset, that if you can't make your loan repayments, they'll lend, you, they'll lend Jack the money. If you can't make it back, we're, we're, we're comfortable that at a 70% lending ratio that uh, if the property prices drop, we'll still be able to repossess and get our money back. Sell it and take your money back. Now, uh, when they assess it, it's, uh, and we used to say to clients at that stage when they couldn't borrow, it was, <coughs> everyone had, it, everyone had the, the income, they didn't have enough deposit to buy the million dollar property. That's what would normally stop 90% of people borrowing, not enough deposit. Now what's stopping people borrowing is the amount of income that they've got because What's happening is uh, people, they, they may have been in, in the market already and they've owned, bought a property for 500, it's now worth a million dollars. So they bought the property with say $100,000 deposit, they may not have paid a dollar off it, so they borrowed 400 and they bought a $500,000 property. Now the property's worth a million dollars, they sell that, so now they've got $600,000 cash. That $600,000 cash is enough for just under a $3 million property with stamp duty, you call it 2.7 odd million dollars with stamp duty. Um, so they've got the, the deposit now, even though they went from this small you know, apartment to now they've got a $3 million, you know, high $2 million property they can afford from a deposit, but their income won't service it. Right, so, so regardless, in, and that's the thing, right? You, if, if you're on $100,000 a year and that'll allow you to say borrow a million bucks, yep. you can only borrow a million dollars. doesn't matter how much deposit you have. Correct. So if you've got $600,000 deposit and you can only borrow a million bucks, you can only borrow something worth, buy something worth 1.6. Correct. Which is what I think a lot of people get wrong. Yeah, because in the past it used to be the bigger the deposit, the bigger the property you can buy. Now it's, doesn't, you could have, a, you could have $10 million cash. If you want to buy an $11 million property, uh, even though it's zero risk, if you can't afford the loan repayments on the million dollars, they won't lend it to you. And there you go, yeah. which a lot of people get wrong. And they're digging deeper into people's living expenses. That's right. one of the biggest factors. So I think now- So actually... what, would, what would the perfect client look like now? If, if someone was to come to you and say, Justin, I want to buy, say, my first property or my second property, yep. how, is, how will I best position myself for the bank to go, you are the perfect client and we're gonna lend you the most or the maximum amount of money we can. What would that, what would so that consistency, consistency. So A, clean credit. A lot of people, they pay their council rates, their water, their, uh, their credit card late and, and they go, oh no, I always, pay it, I always pay it back every month. And it's like, well, are you paying it back on time? Because now with positive credit reporting, when, when they do a credit check, it actually shows, have you been paying, not just have you defaulted on it, which it used to show, now over the last six to 12 months, Lenders are getting access to more rich data. So all the banks, credit card providers, uh, are throwing a lot more information into the credit report. So it actually shows if somebody's uh, paid their credit card late, how many days they've paid it late. And then if you pay one credit card late by 10 days once, no problem. But if you've got a pattern of paying your credit card late and your home loans late, all of that um, goes on your credit reporting and uh, comes up as a score. And you're a, loan, a bad loan candidate because if you can't pay your $10,000 credit card back on time every month, then how are you gonna be paying a million dollar uh, loan back? So the right. ideal client is consistency of paying everything back on time. 
You can't change the past, but you can change the future. So from today, if every bill you pay before time, don't pay also, don't just pay on the day it's due, because by the time it clears, it might be two days afterwards and it's late. If it happens once, no problem. But if that's a regular occurrence, it just shows up as late, 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 and then you're gonna spend all your time trying to explain that, and you've got some other issue you're trying to explain, right. then it doesn't wanna lend. So consistency of, uh, and prepayment of all your, all your expenses. Consistency, consistency of your income. So they wanna see, if you're gonna earn a bonus, they wanna see bonuses consistent. They wanna see your income over the last couple of months during this COVID period. They wanna see that consistent, um, that you, your income hasn't dipped down. And if it has, it's not a train, train smash. However, have a good explanation of why, why you believe it's gonna come back up or show documentary proof that it's gonna come back up. Uh, saving your deposit. Make sure you've saved that consistently. Um, your address, where you live, uh, have that consistent. Your bank account, have your uh, salary going in. Don't overdraw it. Don't. So all of these little things. And then also be mindful of all your expenses. Right. So review six months before you go for a loan, you should be reviewing your expenses and uh, getting, your, getting yourself financially fit as such six months before. And one of the analogies that I give is... Uh, if you're going to get, I've got two analogies depending on my audience. Uh, oh, there's three. One's a bit rude, but I won't do that one. But it's like if you're going to get, if you're getting married, you don't, and you know you're 12 kilos overweight. You don't one month before the wedding go, I need to do some rapid detox diet um, and lose 12 kilos. You start 12 months before and go, I'm going to drop a kilo every month, and so by the end of it. I've lost 12 kilos because then you can also it will be sustainable. It won't you won't just look good and skinny at your wedding, but uh, you'll also be able to sustain that. Put it back on the honeymoon. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So it's you got to it's sounds like consistency is really key. Consistency, consistency start of being a good early. Saver, a good a good spender. Yeah. Um, and paying things on time. And the the inc- the expenses are what lenders are, are drilling down on because if you've got. Uh, let's say $100,000 income after tax you earn 60 grand. So let's say it's 1,200 bucks a, a, a week you're earning. If you've got gym membership, Foxtel, internet, phone, car loan repayments, all of those reduce that down and all of a sudden you're only left with 300 bucks a, a week. That's all that the bank will use for servicing. So you're all these outgoing expenses and if the lender, if you had a one-off expense, that's not a problem. If you're consistently spending money going out to restaurants or parties or spending money at the pub or the tab, then that will work against you and it's hard to rewrite history. So you can start from today to rewrite uh, the future. Right, mate, gold.